This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. <laughs> Valeria Tellis interviews Paul J. Arciero, the author of The Prize Life, Protein Pacing for Optimal Health and Performance. Dr. Paul J. Arciero, FACSM, FTOS, FISSN, is Director of the Human Nutrition, Metabolism, and Performance Laboratory and Professor in the Department of Health and Human Physiological Sciences at Skidmore College and has served as a research professor in the Psychology and Neurosciences Department at Union College and an adjunct professor in the School of Health Sciences in the Department of Nutrition at the Sage Colleges. Dr. Paul is a leading international nutrition and applied physiology scientist, keynote speaker, consultant, and Amazon number one best-selling author, and has given more than 400 invited live interviews worldwide. He has served as a performance physiology and nutrition expert for some of the nation's most elite, including Olympic medalists, world-class professional athletes, National Hockey League, American Hockey League, boxing, cycling, and rowing, as well as thousands of collegiate, high school, and master's athletes of all sports and fitness routines. He serves as a senior consultant and scientific advisory board member to the nutrition, fitness, and wellness industries, and was appointed to the 15-member International Protein Board, IPB Advisory Board, composed of the leading protein scientists in the world. He graduated from Simsbury High School in 1980, received a Bachelor of Science in Special Studies, concentration in Biology, Physical Education, and Business from Central Connecticut State University in 1986, a Master of Science in Physiology of Exercise and Bioenergetics from Purdue University in 1987, a Master of Science in Nutritional Sciences from University of Vermont in 1993, a Doctorate in Physiology of Exercise from Springfield College in 1993, and a Postdoctoral Fellowship in Applied Physiology from Washington University School of Medicine in 1994. He's been inducted as a fellow of three leading health organizations in the world, American College of Sports Medicine, FACSM, the Obesity Society, FTOS, and International Society of Sports Nutrition, FISSN. Meet Dr. Paul at paularciero.com, prizelife.com, and prizewell.com. Here is the interview with Paul J. Arciero.
in your own words, who is Paul J. Arciero? I am a passionate human being, and I am here to serve others on their journey to achieving optimal health and performance, and performance is cognitive, emotional, spiritual, and physical performance. So that's who Paul J. Arciero is. Do you connect passion to purpose, Paul? I, I, I would consider those uh, very similar, a passion and a desire. You know, we often con uh, connect desire with unfavorable, uh, unhealthy uh, pursuits in life, unfortunately. But desire is truly at its core one of the most essential characteristics that we can live by. One of the most one of, one of the most uh, definitive examples of who we are at our finest desire. So I, when I think of passion, I think of desire. And so um, I think we all need to get in more touch with what our desires are. Um, again, we, we associate oftentimes too many desires with negative paths in life, but the true meaning of desire is for health and positive living and optimism. And so, yeah, I'm a man of, I'm a person of passion um, because I pursue my desire. And as I stated at the beginning, my desire is to simply, very simply serve uh, in a form of stewardship, uh, other people on their journey in, in this life to uh, optimal health and performance. And so for me, it's a, it's a pretty simple path, uh, but it's one I'm entirely committed to and passionate about and have an unfatigable desire to want to continue to pursue it. Yeah. How did you discover that? This desire, oh, yeah, to help us. Yeah. You know, it was, it was um, not a simple straight line, that's for sure. And not to go into too much detail, but I took a very circuitous path, um, meaning there was a lot of different avenues that I went down. I was definitely a person who pursued the road very less traveled on my journey. But I, I discovered early on in my life uh, when I would sit in – quiet times with my grandparents and just listen to their wisdom and their words of of life and, and their own desire and passion, uh, it came to me as something that was important for me to follow a path that I would be able to help people that I really love and care for. And so for me, I started off on a very egotistical, self-centered path of how I could achieve my own success in, in life. But when I had other people start asking me about what I was doing, uh, that was my epiphany. And I realized very early on that um, I knew I wanted to pursue something where I could provide and give other people some of these lessons, these life lessons to achieve health. So that's how I discovered it. Right. I do have another question for you about this idea of being healthy. I have explored that myself in so many ways. So let me ask you an, an open question. What is to be truly healthy? What is to be a healthy human being from your perspective? What does it look like? Harmony. And so uh, optimal health to me is harmony. 
and harmony because we are fully integrated organisms. Uh, we as human beings operate on so many different levels of emotional, intellectual, cognitive, spiritual, physical uh, intelligence and living on all those different levels that in order for us to truly be in a place of optimal health, all of those things need to be harmonized. And unfortunately, we approach, we approach the pursuit of health in a very mutually exclusive fashion, meaning we, we look at our physical health as being something separate from our spiritual and our emotional and cognitive health. So for me, it's about harmonizing all of those areas. And that's the work that I do. I, I strive to bring harmony to people in how they operate on a daily basis. When you talk about operating from the spiritual level, I wonder what that looks like from your point of view too, Paul. What is to be spiritual? Spiritual is a place where we remove and suspend judgment and critical analysis of our current condition. And so, you know, to be spiritual is really allowing the opportunity for an other um, source of guidance and energy and fulfillment and meaningfulness and, as we talked about earlier, purpose. And so for me, spiritual uh, health is about um, allowing ourselves to suspend that, that critical mind and that judgmental mind and that conscience, conscious mind. I think that's the key. Um, these are great questions, by the way, Valeria, because they're very introspective, but they're, they're also questions that um, place us in a somewhat non-discursive environment. You know, when I think of uh, non-discursive or discourse, it's always about our ability to articulate it and verbalize it. But when it comes to spirituality, sometimes those are things and ideas and places that we go to in our mind that we don't have all the answers about. And so for me, that spiritual fulfillment is just allowing ourselves that time to allow contemplation and solitude to be present in all of us so that we can engage in that higher level of, of what I call supra consciousness, where, you know, it's that, you know, dimension that we don't fully understand or can't explain to somebody. Um, and I don't think we live our lives in that area enough. And so for me, um, it's so enriching and so powerful. So that's mm -hmm. spirituality to me. <laughs> Yes, the unexplainable, undescribable, mm -hmm. beautiful. I love that wisdom coming from you. <laughs> the, you just let it flow through you. Ah, oh, so true. Yes. Thank you for saying that. And um, yeah, I have a question here that I was listening to you earlier talking about passion and desire and purpose. I wonder what the balance is when it comes to obsession and addictions mm -hmm. to how do we know when we are getting too focused on our desires and our passions? Uh, that's, that's a beautiful question right there because it brings up the, the concept of light and dark. And when we think of the light and the shining of the light upon our lives and the decisions and choices that we make, they usually result 
in providing fulfillment and meaningfulness, not just for ourselves, but for others. And so when I make that decision about, you know, what is a healthy passion and a desire versus an unhealthy obsession um, and an unhealthy desire is that it always reflects itself back so that other people benefit and derive strength and power and energy from it. So that's you know, to me, that would be the dark side of desire and passion when it's only maybe perhaps providing a very fleeting, temporary, transient feeling of, of you know, good um, uh, for one person. And, and those things are just what they are. They're, they're fleeting desires that usually do have a dark side and are not serving others um, and so, yeah, for me, that's that's the big distinction. And that's a really important one. And, you know, not to go too much more, but, you know, when I think about that question that you just asked in terms of passion, you know, oftentimes the light and the dark are uh, opposite sides of the same coin. So when we talk about passion and desire, those are really good um, and really healthy and beneficial, not just for the single organism of the person, but for others that are, are in that influence of space around that person. And that would be the light side of passion and desire and meaningfulness and purpose. But on the other side is exactly what you described, the dark side. And so, yeah, we're always in that uh, balance of, as I said, the one side or the other of the same you know, coin, I call it. Um, so yeah, that's a really beautiful question. And, you know, being able to discern that and understand which side of the coin you need to be on to help humankind is, uh, is, is a great place to be. How do you define success these days? You know, much the same way as what we've been talking about. You know, success for me, I know that we are on a quest in our current culture and society around the, the search, the holy grail of happiness, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. think about it. Everybody that we talk to, it's about how can I achieve more happiness? Yeah. Well, let's let's pursue the, the money path of happiness. Um, let's pursue the materialistic new house, car, um, new toy path of happiness. Let's you know, surround ourselves with quick, quick uh, medications and and drugs and um, you know substances that we can achieve this. And we hear so much about these things, and and they're very prevalent, right? I mean, we hear about the search for the holy grail of happiness all the time. And for me, it comes back to again the same concept of what is meaningful to you. What is what does a purpose driven life look like? What is a sense of fulfillment? look like. And it, it that captures, again, the other word that I used at the beginning, which I'm um, I'm really glad that I introduced it so early, but the harmony aspect of, of, of success. And that's what success is and its relationships, its meaningfulness. And so I always tell people when they do ask questions around, you know, what is it that you, ha you can maintain such a, a positive, optimistic outlook? You know, how are you so happy? Um, you know, what, what are you using to give yourself that, that path of happiness? And I quickly correct them and say, well, that's the starting point is, you know, don't have happiness as your end goal, derive uh, fulfillment from the things that you do. And, and Valeria, as you are doing at such a high level in the work that you do, um, it's about giving and stewardship and serving and, uh, I mean, the, what we receive back, um, as you well know, 
when we do share and give of ourselves to others, that is makes it all worthwhile in terms of success. So for me, it's about spending time with my family, my, my wife and my sons and my siblings and close friends and family. Um, being with you here today, that to me is success because it's not giving me happiness per se, but it's providing me a sense of, of meaningfulness and fulfillment. And of course, uh, it fulfills my search for you know, my desire to want to help people. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed that, um, you provided me this platform, um, to be able to share this. If life had one purpose only, what do you think or feel that would be? Well, that's a, that's a huge open-ended question, a lot of depth to it. You know, I, I remember reading about the, importance of humility and how the greatest and most successful spiritual leaders and um, health and wellness and financial wealth leaders, they all exhibited and, and, and are, you know, most wonderful philanthropics. They, they all work and operate from a place of humility. And so I think that's really important. And I, I remember speaking to a younger um, person of a younger generation and them discount them discounting the uh, the beauty around humility and saying that, you know, I don't think that that's how we should operate. It's more important that we we hold true to what we believe and we speak with boldness and confidence. And I, it kind of caught me because I thought, hmm, you know, that's an interesting perspective. Of course, self confidence and self-worth and self-esteem is is critical it's part of maslow's hierarchy of of what he speaks to but at the same time none of those things can be achieved without first having that foundational basis of you know first of all spiritual faith in some form that we've talked about but then also humility and not believing that you are above others and so for me one of the roles that i think is of utmost priority and primary in terms of our existence is to exhibit a sense of humility um, and humbleness. And there's some slight differences, but I think that's really important. It's not to say that that's discounting your your self-worth and your self-esteem. It's just allowing you to know that those who you engage with are of equal and are of, and of all in all ways importance in every way. So humility would be one of the primary roles that we have here on earth. Mm, wow. Yeah, it very much resonates true to me, coming from the perspective that everything's connected, that there's no separation anyway. But that's um, some call spiritual wisdom, spiritual realization. But mm. it might be, but it just comes naturally, it arises naturally. This idea of humility, when we know that, when we realize everything is connected. Um, I love the way you speak, Paul. Thank you for a different voice saying the same thing. Another question I have is about the idea of freedom and true power. What comes to mind when you hear those two words? Those are words that I wasn't necessarily <laughs> expecting today, Valeria, <laughs> yeah. but I, I really right. like that, you know, freedom and power. <laughs> you know, to, to, to be free is to speak from the heart, I think, to, to experience freedom. 
and to not feel stifled in, in your expression of emotion. So freedom to me is, you know, we talk about freedom to engage in various actions over the course of a day. You know, we, we have the freedom to vote um, and the right to bear arms and the freedom of speech. You know, we have all of those things. And one of the more powerful freedoms is our ability to think uh, and to express. And oftentimes that is referred to uh, with, with words and perhaps thoughts, but I think freedom of emotion um, and, and spirituality um, and faith, whichever um, resonates with somebody, I kind of I know they're not interchangeable by any means, spirituality and faith. But I I often say that just to help people understand that you know th- those things should be allowed to be expressed. And so freedom to me is is with the expression of who it is at our deepest reaches of our soul. That to me is freedom, and that leads to power. I think when we have that understanding and harmony in our existence, that generates power within, you know, there's something very powerful and, and, and there's so many um, great writings and teachings on this, but, um, you know, being able to demonstrate less physical strength and intellectual intelligence is really a very powerful form of communication right? Because we know that when somebody comes across as a very powerful figure, whether it's in physical size or in voice and words, uh, it usually results in the person receiving it as feeling less than <laughs> um, because of their their appearance or their words spoken. And so, yeah, I, again, I, I guess I would refer back to the, the use of that word, um, humility and allowing ourselves to appreciate and accept everyone and everything for its existence and allowing us to be connected to each other on a level of equal and equalness. You know, I think that attracts people. And so, you know, we haven't talked much about virtues, but, you know, when you think about people who you have a gravitational pull to, it's usually those people that have that ability to resonate and exude uh, an appreciation and an acceptance for others and uh, and things, for that matter, and that draws us to them, and that that that's power. So it's it's somewhat contradictory, um, but to me, that's how I would define power. I know it probably is maybe the first time it's been expressed that way, but to me, that would be how I would define it. So you wrote the book, The Prize Life, Protein Pacing for Optimal Health and Performance. Talk to me for a moment about the main inspiration and intention of writing this book. Well, thanks for asking on that. And it really goes back to what we had started our conversation around. And that was, you know, what was it that initiated this passion and this desire in me? And I remember two of the most influential people in my life were my my paternal grandmother and my maternal grandfather. So my mother's father and my dad's mom. And I used to write them letters as a little boy. I still have the letters. In fact, in one of the books that I published, I I showed a, a picture of one of the letters. And for me as a young boy, 
um, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, having that relationship with my grandparents and writing them letters as we, you know, this my generation used to do more often, but sometimes not so much boys. For me, it was such a powerful form of expression because oftentimes, Valeria, this is very interesting. Over the course of my life, there were times when it was much, much harder for me to stand in the presence of somebody and share my emotions and engage in a level of connectedness with them. It was much harder to do. And I would always leave that experience thinking, gosh, I'm so frustrated that I wasn't able to share with them how I really felt. And so what I then turned toward was writing my emotions. And I remember I would do that often with my grandmother and grandfather, but I also did it with my father when he was dying from cancer. Uh, It was just so hard for me to sit in his presence and share with him how much I loved him and how much he meant to me and the lessons that he taught me. It would just, I, I wasn't capable of expressing it. And so what I would do is I would retreat back to my room, find a piece of paper and pencil or pen and write those words that I wanted to share with him. And I would leave them by his bedside. And for me, it was my way of being able to share my emotions with him. And so this book is a reflection of that because it captures what I've learned over the course of my life uh, on how we can impact our health. And I focus, I must admit, I know we've been talking a lot about other forms of of health here, but I focus primarily on the physical and psychological components of health, not too much of the emotional and spiritual, although I'm fascinated with it and I read a lot on it. Um, But for me, I focus a lot on the physical dimension and the psychological cognitive dimension of health. And I've learned that there are certain lifestyle strategies that have held the test of time that impact our physical and cognitive intellectual health and and even to a a degree our emotional health um, at a very, very high level. And to me, I'm, I'm helping contribute to um, building harmony in people, because I believe that, you know, we can't put our full person in a place of optimal health if we don't have all of those components together. And I know that you're someone who is of the same belief that we need to take time to engage in the appropriate amount of, of physical movement and high level of, of, of nourishment through things that we consume with food and drink um, and things that we engage with our cognitive mind, um, those things will all allow us to reach that higher level of emotional, spiritual balance much and harmony much, much better. So for me, this book um, first addresses my early start where I was not a very good student. I was a college dropout and I was a professional tennis player over in Europe and I had a, an amazing epiphany during a period when I was uh, not doing well at all. And um, I had been a, I was a recent college dropout. I thought I would go and uh, pursue my passion of playing tennis and I was not winning and nothing was going right. And I just remember facing that decision in a very serene place. I was in a, um, at a tennis tournament in Southern France and there was a brook of water and all I could hear was the, the water gently rolling over the rocks. And I remember lying down and crying and sobbing hysterically, looking up through the trees and the sunlight and thinking to myself, this 
you know, is not where I expected to be. And maybe this is the end of, of it all for me here because nothing was going right. And I had this wave of just immense, immense energy that entered into my body. And so to make a long story short, I ended up winning the tournament and I returned home several weeks later and I pursued my education at a very high level and said, this is my new path. So, I love how you use the word harmony and not balance. I know some people that I have interviewed, they actually don't like the word balance. This idea of finding a center, a place, a destination and staying there. I also don't believe that. But then when you say the word harmony, that really resonates because nature, the harmony that you speak of, it's just doing the things that it's obvious that we do, <laughs> take care of the body, which has to do a lot with self-care and self-love. Or what are, I'm wondering what the ideas are precisely, Paul, behind this concept of harmony that you speak of. Is there a destination actually for the harmony that you speak of? Well, it, it's you know it's a fascinating concept to think about harmony versus balance, and I would agree with your previous guests <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what your view on it, yeah. because for me to experience that moment, I was not in harmony harmony at all. In fact, I was at rock bottom. But by being at rock bottom and completely devoid and empty of everything, then I had the greatest opportunity to be filled up. And that's how I like to look at it. You know, when, when we have our greatest moments of inspiration and many great musicians and philosophers and artists and athletes, um, they, uh, great thinkers, they talk about this. They talk about how they have their, their most profound and impactful, insightful progress when they have reached rock bottom, meaning they're completely empty and the opportunity is there for them to be completely filled up. So to me, that's harmony. And and I think you're right, you know, for us to think that we can live in this static, um, unchanging place of balance is just unrealistic. So what does it mean to have the highest level of self-care? I, I call it, I call self-care, the new self-care is, um, or the new healthcare is self-care. Um, you know, what is it that we can do from a self-care perspective to achieve the greatest level of, of health care, even at a public level, public um, policy level? And it is about, um, first and foremost, for me, how we nourish our body. And so what I talk about in the prize life that you have um, graciously uh, mentioned to the, the listeners, uh, it, it's the, the book is really starting from a place of what can we do? to nourish every cell of our body at the highest level. And that really begins with what we put into our body. Um, and so I do take a, an approach of providing nourishment. And I use nourishment very broadly. I don't use it just as food and drink. I use it as spiritual nourishment and physical nourishment. But yeah, to, to be in harmony with our self-care means that we'll have an ebb and flow. I mean, just just the same way that um, the, the sun and the moon, light and dark, um, rain and sun. Uh, I mean, we're constantly achieving harmony through really drastic extremes. Um, you know, that's the reality of, of life is that in order for, for us to be in harmony, it doesn't mean things are the status quo, just the opposite. Oftentimes it means we have to go through periods of famine and, and feasting 
to some degree. It might mean that we might need to have periods of drought and then, you know, great uh, rainfall. So, you know, it's the same way with our body. Our body responds to those cycles of ebb and flow of nutrients that we consume. And I talk about that with my protein pacing and intermittent nutritional fasting. Um, And these are all scientifically evidence-based, by the way, which I think is really important for the listeners because I'm a scientist first and foremost, and I didn't even mention that when I first started um, because I I consider that secondary to what I really do um, at a a different level. Um, But yeah, these are all scientifically proven concepts of the optimal forms of nourishment in the form of food and drink and the optimal forms of nourishment and the forms of physical movement. So I'm I'm certified in two different forms of yoga. Uh, I'm a, you know, I still am a competitive athlete. Um, I engage my students when I teach in class things of of diaphragmatic pranayamic breathing and the value that that provides because I think we're we're losing touch of the true value of something as simple as and life sustaining as our breathing is. Uh, I think that we just um, we don't pay enough attention to it. So again, you know, for me. To answer your question, um, self-care at the highest level is about harmony, but harmony does not suggest balance or status quo or homeostasis. Um, um, and even as a, as a physiologist, when we look at the term homeostasis, if you were to ask most people what homeostasis means, it means you know maintaining the body in a, in a, um, in a steady state balance of equilibrium. And believe it or not, when you look at how our body achieves homeostasis, it's very ebb and flow. It's it's very moving in how it does it. So harmony is achieved through those forms. And um, that's what I speak to in great detail in this book, um, how we can achieve optimal health through nourishment, through food and, and drink, through proper forms of physical movement, and through appropriate strategies of emotional um, well-being. I love that this idea of harmony, being open to the movements of life, yeah, the seasons, right, Paul. That has been my experience by being open then to everything exactly the way it is, by being present to what is present. This sense, this feeling of harmony just sets in, arises, and it's here. So. True. Um, so you do have the prize life. It's also an app, right? Talk to me for a moment about that, where it is available and how do we access it? Great. Yeah. So the, the book, The Prize Life, can be downloaded at, uh, by Kindle, but also paperback on Amazon. And then the Prize Life app is available uh, as an iOS uh, and Android um, and so it can be downloaded and used in a moment-by-moment lifestyle approach. And one of the beauties of it, again, is it provides the moment-by-moment achievement of harmony, of optimal health and harmony, using proper nutrition, proper hum- uh, movement strategies, and then emotional well-being. I call one of the strategies for the emotional well-being the body visit. And it's just a, uh, it's my form of doing a, a mindfulness awareness meditation, um, but does it in a real practical way for people and allows them to relate to it within their, the context of their lifestyle. Um, and I think that's really important. You know, sometimes we, we promote at the public health level a very, very, 
um, high level of achievement that is necessary for people to achieve health. And I, I try to suggest that it doesn't necessarily have to be so rigid and so high achieving that um, everybody is capable of attaining optimal health for them. Um, and it doesn't have to have a bar that's set really high as as sometimes we're led to believe. So I hope I, I, I break down those misconceptions about what it is that we can do to achieve optimal health within our within the context of our own lifestyle. A single mom um, with with two jobs and two young children to take care of, uh, it can it can be achieved. Um, that might be living in a food desert even. So you know, there's there's so many challenges that uh, we all have at our own level of existence. And what I try to do is demystify this um, optimal health pursuit of a journey as being unachievable or unattainable uh, because of how we describe it and characterize it. And I just think uh, that's a, an unfortunate situation because everyone is capable um, of doing it regardless of their circumstances, provided the right information. So we're almost at the end and I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions, but there's something else that caught my attention in your book. Uh, chapter 12, I'm not getting too much into disclosing the information in a book. It's called, What Are You Feeding Your Mind? <laughs> so that caught my attention, of course. Talk to me for a moment about that, about that chapter. Yeah. Um, well, that goes back a little bit to what we were talking about before and, you know, our thoughts and the discourse that we have with our self-dialogue. And I think for a lot of people, they engage in a self-dialogue that is oftentimes destructive. Um, so our thoughts really are the starting point for whatever life choice and decision and path and journey we're going to pursue. So what I do talk about is just the importance of if you really want to truly affect change in your pursuit of health, you can gather all the most sophisticated, um, high-level scientific research and writings on this, um, some, many of which I help you know, people uh, use in their own quest for, for health. But until we first go inward and work on our self-dialogue and how we talk to ourselves, that's got to be the starting point. And so the genesis, the genesis of any health journey, first and foremost, needs to begin and commence with the, the right self-talk and putting yourself in the right frame of mind. And I, I feel really strongly about that because it's um, so often under utilized and appreciated that's i think you know we're on this quest of information right we have everything at our disposal <laughs> um you know any five-year-old boy or girl can get onto the internet and you know search on their phones um and just think it's it's available to all of us it, they were in the information or many call it the misinformation age where we have such quick and, and immediate uh exposure and access to information and what that does is it overwhelms, in my view, it overwhelms and bypasses where we should be starting from. And that's with what are we saying to ourselves? 
and how are we talking to ourselves about what's important to us and what type of passion and desire is truly important to us. And so I talk about that um, and I have coined a, well, I haven't coined it, um, but I do use keep your eyes on the prize and we often hear that. And the prize, P-R-I-S-E, of course, is the acronym that stands for my approach to achieving optimal health, starting with nutrition, moving to movement strategies. But at the beginning of all of those things that most people would look to in terms of pursuing health, nutrition, and exercise, I would say always start with your inner self-dialogue and self-talk. And that's why the body visit is always the starting point of any journey on toward health. And then go, doing things like sleep, making sure that you're sleeping and you're recovering properly. You're engaging in healthy social um, relationships um, is really important. So, you know, finding your inspiration and how you want to condition your mind in terms of, you know, behavioral approaches to things is how I would describe feeding that mind. Do you connect self-acceptance, self-love to the idea of self-care or that is something different? I would, I would absolutely um, associate that. Yes, self-acceptance is primary and going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, having that, um, having that acceptance and self criticism, self judgment suspended as we pursue self, our optimal self care is critical. Yeah. Kindness. You know, we talk about kindness, uh, toward others, but kindness also as a virtue means kindness to yourself. And so, yes, I would affirm that. That's great. Something that I believe in. I have been actually asking the question a lot about the idea of loving other people, being kind to others without doing that for ourselves. Is that really possible to love someone else if we don't love ourselves? I got the answer. Most people that I interview, they often say, no, it's not possible. And we need to love ourselves first. But I had uh, one or two guests who said that it's possible to learn to love ourselves by loving others first. That was interesting. I guess it's a no path, it's a pathless um, kind of way of getting somewhere, right, with this idea of love. But from your perspective, what is your take on that? Well, I can see and appreciate both views that it would be more challenging and difficult to truly demonstrate love towards someone else if you weren't first capable of loving yourself. However, I also believe that by experiencing love among others, we can learn. So maybe I would introduce a third you yeah, know, yeah. View, view of this, that <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we can observe others. And so by us, and, and you know, there is some truth to that, Valeria, there's something called the contagion theory. Mm -hmm, yeah, and it was, yeah. it's, it's built out of uh, mm -hmm. Harvard, of course, And to me, it's really powerful because it's been shown in so many different virtues um, and lifestyle uh, attributes, uh, smoking and obesity and um, depression and anxiety. I mean, it's, it's a powerful theory, this contagion theory. So my point is, is that by being in the presence of others that are demonstrating love toward each other, 
and and self and, and self care. Um, I do believe, you know, that we can serve as role models or what we call alters, you know, our alter ego. So our ego is what we have within us, but our alter ego is something that's from outside of us. So I do believe that we can be around alter um, people, the others that are demonstrating that love and that that could bring us to a place of, of loving other people. But I think um, it maybe is perhaps a combination of all three. I think we need to really search deep within us um, to begin to love ourselves. And then as you describe some of your other guests, suggesting that it is possible to experience love by loving others, perhaps even before yourself. But then the third way I would introduce would be to surround yourself with people Mm. who are living a world and a life of love. So my final question is, before I ask them, would you like to add anything else or read a a passage in your book? (laughs) Oh, that's so nice of you to offer to read a, a passage. I mean, there's just so many that I would want to choose from. I don't know if I would have one that um, might define what it is, uh, but I did just open up my book. I had it sitting here and I shared this with my class actually the other day because I noticed that there was a level of stress and disharmony in the class. And so I, I brought up this concept of, of deep breathing um, and diaphragmatic breathing So I just, I say this, I say the benefits of breathing deeply. Don't underestimate the value of just breathing. Deep breathing techniques have existed and been used throughout the centuries. We are still learning the hidden values of paying attention to your breath. Shallow breathing is problematic and for some reason our bodies seem to resort to this when we are under stress or we are nervous. If we simply pay attention and change the depth of our breathing, we would help ourselves tremendously. So it was just on your t- that topic. And I know it so, sounds so simple, but you know, going back to what it is that provides our gift of living. And as you just said, you know, that um, we are such amazing, miraculous human beings and we have within us everything that we need to accomplish uh, a place of optimal health. Well, believe it or not, it all starts with the breath because it's truly oxygen um, that allows ourselves in our body, the billions of cells in our body to thrive. And so I would just maybe add that, that is oftentimes too undervalued. It is so true. We, yeah, we often forget to breathe. That's true. It's one of the things that I found out um, by talking to my guests, I guess, um, the inspiration. And I think one person really, really got me to do that every day, <laughs> to be more conscious about breathing. That's uh, interesting that you're talking about today again. So thank you for the reminder, Paul. It's a very powerful one. So my final questions, let me ask you this one. I have usually lots of them, but I'll choose two of them. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? I can't be everything to everyone. I know we've heard that before, but uh, I lived a large portion of my life trying to be everything or as much as I could to as many people as possible. And when I had a, an awakening, an epiphany, uh, believe it or not, at the age of 55, I remember staring at myself in the mirror at 3.30 in the morning after being jolted up for no apparent reason other than 
a vacuole of emptiness that I felt in who I was. And I just remember staring at myself in the mirror at 3.30 in the morning on my family sleeping and wondering who I was and what was my primary purpose. And for me, it was that awakening to just remind myself that I can't be everything or try to be, I should say, not that I, I am, but I can't try to be everything to everyone. And so as soon as I started to really harness my desire of what it was that I wanted to pursue. So I guess I'm going full circle here to where we started this um, whole podcast. And thank you again. This has been so enlightening for me. You know, for me, it was very clear that my passion, my desire for my life is to serve other people in achieving optimal health. And again, like you just said very eloquently, it's different for each person. No There's no one size fits all for optimal health. That would be unachievable and unrealistic and just not um, sensible. Uh, And so for me, it was just a matter of understanding that my primary purpose is to serve other people in achieving their version of optimal health. And that uh, was a total game changer and very freeing for me. And so it always reminds me of that saying, less is more. And so for me to trim away all of the excess and other things that I was, I was doing to arrive at a very quite simple path has resulted in profound uh, benefit. Ah, uh, that word, simple. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, sometimes it's so simple that we miss it, isn't it? <laughs> you might be that yeah. too. <laughs> Um, my last question is, what are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before they die? Mm, I would say living a life of non-discursive thought. I know that sounds a little bit profound and eccentric, but it really is quite simple. And that is some of our most beautiful life experiences. In fact, I would say many, most, if not all, but I will just leave it at most, of our most beautiful, uh, fulfilling and meaningful and rewarding life experiences are ones that we can't explain to other people. And so what I would, what I would, what I, what I would hope and pray for everybody is that they allow themselves to engage in non-discursive experiences as much as possible. And just one example, I had the wonderful, beautiful opportunity to hike a 14,000 foot peak uh, two weeks ago with my son in Colorado. And it was it was one of those moments where there were times at, uh, on the journey up where I thought, I can't do this. Um, I'm, I'm having a little bit of altitude sickness. Um, the conditions are too severe. It was cold and icy and snow. I wasn't prepared. I didn't have the right equipment. And, and the self-doubt that went through my head was enormous. In fact, I remember turning to him when he was up ahead. I said, Nick, I can't, I can't go on. I can't make it. And I remember him just looking at me and then looking up and he said, dad, there's the peak. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it was, it was really um, uh. a beautiful moment because I, again, I, I don't want to make this about myself. It's more about what I'm speaking to. And that was as I was up at the top and people have asked, what was it like, you know, being up there? I mean, it's a high peak. 
I said, you know what? Words can't describe it. And so that's what I would hope for other people, that they would allow themselves to live and experience moments where they can't describe it in words. And we have different examples of that. So that would be one. Um, and then the other two would be to read my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a very convenient one. <laughs> um, uh, so let's make that one simple. And then the third one, Valeria, would yeah. be um, obviously to listen to this podcast. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I could uh, top it. I think that that would be, you know, that one sums it up for me more than all of them is just to allow themselves to experience things in life that they can't put into words. For me, that's where the intricate, I call it the intricate web of life exists, where we have these experiences that are so unique that they're only things that we ourselves have experienced, yet still can't explain and describe to someone else. To me, that's the beauty of life is being able to exist in that realm where we are all engaged at such a high level, it surpasses our conscious thought and our ability to describe it in words. Oh, gosh, just, you know, saying it is, is something so powerful. So that would be my, my wish for all the listeners. Yeah, I love that. I love your passion. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul, for being you, expressing life the way you do and everything else in between that could be felt. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, first is the, the book is available on Amazon, The Prize Life. Uh, the app, The Prize Life, is available on Android and iOS on the App Store. And then my websites, uh, www.paularciero.com and theprizelife.com. So those would be the main places um, that people can access me. I'm also on social media, Facebook, Dr. Paul Arciero, and Twitter, and Instagram, all by my name, Paul Arciero, A-R-C-I-E-R-O. And, of course, on your podcast. So thank you. Thank you, Paul. Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile, too. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Paul J. Arciero and his work, please visit paularciero.com, prizelife.com, and prizewell.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>